of Acts, it starts out with Jesus giving them some last words before he shoots up back to the Father. And one of the things he says to them is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Those things go together. Witnessing and being a witness for Jesus, being a witness of his resurrection, of his life. You can't do that without the power that God has provided. And that power is through the Holy Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, the church is shaken. The church is is just, I mean, at that point, 120 folks meeting in one room, praying and waiting for God. And in the upper room, we, we, we know the story. All of a sudden, there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So we're going to repeat some things that we've said on Wednesday nights for those of you that haven't been there, but we're going to talk about something that's relevant to all of us because this is something that uh, we kind of have to figure out, which is the, 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 the importance of these times that we gather together, we seek God together, we worship God together, and we bless the Lord together, and the importance of that as well as the importance of hitting the street. Because here's what happens. On the day of Pentecost, that room is shaken by the presence of God. There is wind blowing. It's not actual wind. It's just the sound of rushing wind. It's the best way they can describe it. They're just, it's like a train is going through the room. And all of a sudden, there are, they see flames, like almost like flames of fire, tongues on top of everybody's head. They see the Holy Spirit literally coming onto people. And, 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 and we know through Scripture that he's not just resting on them. He's filling them. The Holy Spirit is filling them. And as they go out into the street, they begin to proclaim the goodness of God. In fact, they begin to speak in other tongues, and God gives the interpretation for what they're saying. Now, what's so valuable about that is that there's two different experiences going on here. Number one, they've been in the upper room and had like the greatest church service ever. That didn't just happen. They had to go where Jesus told them to go and wait when he told them to wait. And they were there at the right time. Half the battle is just showing up. Most of you know that. They showed up. Remember, there was over 500 people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. 120 of those were in the room at the right time. So half the battle's showing up, just being there. But when they, when they have that experience, I think my inclination, our inclination would be like, let's just stay in here because this is where the presence of God is. This is where God's doing something. This is where it's shaken. Let, don't, don't make me leave. This is, this is what we kind of say from time to time. I never want to leave. I just want to stay in the presence of God. And that's a good and wonderful thing to say. It's a good, a good attitude to have. But at some point, you got to leave because at some point, you realize that the presence of God is not just for you. The power of God is not just for you. So at some point, you got to leave the room. Do you wait until it just dies down to get bored? Or do you take the fire that God's given you and take it for, use it for what it's for? To change the world around you. So as they spill out into the street. We talked about this a few weeks ago. On Wednesday night. It says they heard that sound. In that room. Like a mighty rushing wind. But the sound that the world heard. Was the sound from their mouths. They heard a sound from heaven. But the world heard that sound from them. 
The truth is, what the world needs to hear has got to come from us. We've got to hear a sound from heaven, and the world needs to hear the sound from us. But see, the thing is, if we go out into the street, we go out into the world and expect to change the world without first hearing the sound of heaven, without being changed by the presence of God, without being filled with the Spirit of God, all we're doing is trying in our own strength and our own understanding to push a philosophy on someone. When Jesus said, if you want to be my witnesses, you first must receive power. You know, the Great Commission does not start with go. The Great Commission really starts with all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Does anybody here start a new conversation with the word therefore? I mean, that wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? If I came up to Chance and said, Chance, because of this, I think you need to, uh, you know, I, need, I think you need to sell your business. I think you need to move away. If I started the, 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 the conversation with the word, the phrase, because of this, Chance would be wondering, because of what? If I said, Rhonda, therefore, well, what in the world are you talking about? You must have said something pretty important before that. And so when he says, therefore, go, you got to remember what came before it. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go in that authority. Go in that power. Do you realize that when Jesus preached, he wasn't the first person to teach them. There were people that taught them. When he went through to, to these different villages, they had scribes that trained all their lives to teach the gospel, well, not the gospel, but to teach the scriptures. And when Jesus began to preach and teach, the scripture says that they talked amongst themselves and they said, he speaks with authority. And they marveled at him because he, they said, he speaks with authority, not like our scribes doesn't say he's a better teacher than our scribes, although I'm sure he was. doesn't say he's smarter than our scribes, although I'm sure he was. The difference they noticed was that he had authority when he talked. There was a power behind his words. We, we've talked about this before, but when the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church about these false apostles that have come in, he says, I'm coming to check them out. He says, when I come, I'm not going to check out their messages. I'm not going to check out their, their fancy words. Because it says, the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. He said, the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of words, but a kingdom of power. Now, he's still going to hear them. I mean, that power is evident when they're preaching or lacking when they're preaching. It's also, I'm sure it's evident in the signs and wonders that have confirmed the word. But he's saying, I'm coming to check them out. If they're just using fancy words and eloquent sermons, if they're just using a, a great, you know, uh, argument, if they're just getting up there and speaking from their own wisdom, as smart as they may be, that's not the kingdom of God. It's got no power to it. We're living in a society that has been inoculated to the gospel. Maybe not the gospel, but religion. They've gotten just enough to be turned off by it. Enough of man's religion, enough of dead religion. But you know, that's what inoculation, that's what a vaccination really is. In its earliest forms, you put a dead, a small bit of a dead uh, virus 
you know, in, in, in your, in your uh, body so that your body can produce antibodies, but you don't actually get sick. In the same way, we've been inoculated. Much of our culture has been inoculated. They've got enough dead religion, just a little bit of it, that they think they know who God is, and they think they don't want but what they haven't encountered in many cases is the genuine power of God. The power of God in your words. The power of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. The power of God in miracles. These are things that God wants to be part of our everyday lives. And if you're going to go out there and tell somebody about Jesus, how can you do it without his power? How can you do it without first being filled? I set you up in Acts chapter 2 so that we could go to Acts chapter 4. Those of you who've been with us on Wednesday night know where we're going here. Because what happens in Acts chapter 4 is there's a man that gets healed outside the temple. And he gets healed and he follows Peter and John into the temple. And they're out in the Solomon's porch area, which is kind of the, the uh, outer courts of the temple. Little courtyard. And they're telling everybody what Jesus has done for this man. It caused such a stir because they were talking about Jesus and how he was resurrected. That the religious leaders of the time put Peter and John on trial. And they were afraid to kill them because the people were obviously very impressed. But they threatened them. The last words Peter and John heard from those leaders was, don't you dare ever preach in this name again. Peter gives a great, excuse me, great answer. He says, come on now. He says, uh, you decide whether it's right for us to obey God or to obey you. But we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. Now, they sound pretty bold right there, don't they? And we all wish we could be that, that, that cool, that, that, that bold in a situation where we're being threatened the implication being, we couldn't kill you this time because there's too many witnesses, but don't think we won't beat you, throw you in prison, or maybe worse, if we hear you talking in that name again. We'd be tempted at least to go underground, right? Be sneakier. But Peter and John aren't even trying to be sneaky. I mean, they're not even trying to start an underground church. They're going to they're proclaim this publicly. We'd be tempted to say, well, maybe we just need to change our language. You know, maybe we're just offending too many people. No, they were, they were bold about it. And as bold as they, they were at the time, we know there was something that shook them a little bit because when they came back in Acts chapter 4, and I want you to see what happens. Those of you who've been with us on Wednesday nights or who've studied the book of Acts, you know what happens, but let's read it together. Verse 21 says, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what happened. For the man was more than 40 years old, of whom this miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, they went to their own companions, and they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it's you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. 
For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, now here's the prayer. Here's, here's, what, here's the ask. Because here's, they've already said, Lord, we recognize that this is no surprise to you. We recognize that you're over all things and you're not afraid. That you're not shaken by this. Now, here's what we have to ask you. Now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence and that you would extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place with the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word with boldness. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but that all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. Here's how I have come to believe that Peter and John might have been more shaken by that threat than we might have realized earlier. Because when they came back, they didn't say no big deal. When they came back, their prayer was, grant us boldness. You might have said they're already bold, but they needed more. The smartest thing that they did was, number one, they brought the problem to the friends, to their companions, not so they could talk about how hard life is, not so they could sit down and write a sad country song, not so that they could just talk about, oh no, what are we going to do now? But they brought it back to the church so they could all lift their voice together to God. Number one, they came together. And number two, they went to God. Because that's what they needed to do. That's the solution to your issue is not to spend all night worrying about it, but to lift your voice to God. But sometimes we underestimate the power of getting together with your brothers and sisters and lifting your voice together. Jesus said there was power in agreement. He said if two or three agree touching anything in my name, they have what they've asked for. The Bible says one could make a thousand run away, but two could make 10,000 run away. That kind of math is significant. So here's the deal. A lot of times we're just dealing with these things on our own. We're threatened. We're worried. We go home and we worry. We talk about it with our spouse. We, we talk about possible answers. Maybe you pray, but you pray not really in faith. You pray in worry. And you pray by yourself. Praying by yourself is a powerful thing. I think we all should do it often. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit, praying in the mind, the Apostle Paul said. But it is also so valuable to come together and lift our voices together. Amen. See, there was something they realized that they needed. Here's the deal. Be humble enough to realize you don't have everything you need. You don't have all that you need to face what the world's going to throw at you. You don't have all that you need to go and share what God's given to the world, and what God's granted for you to bring to the world. Jesus said to his disciples, freely you've received, now freely give. Now everything you need's already been granted to you. Everything that you need has already been paid for through Jesus Christ. You don't need to earn a thing. God doesn't need to do one more thing. He's already done it. 
But there are times when we have to say, Lord, I recognize that we need boldness. God, I recognize that if we're going to preach the gospel, there's got to be your power with it. So let's come together and let's ask for it. The result was that all of those people that had already been filled with the Spirit two chapters ago, and I know they didn't say two chapters ago because, of course, they're living it. But all of those people that were filled with the Spirit two chapters ago, it says they were filled with the Spirit again. doesn't mean they lost the Holy Spirit. It just means they need to be filled again. And as they're filled again, the result is God does exactly what they asked for. Not only is the place shaken, not only are they filled with the Spirit, but power and boldness and signs and wonders are following them. There's a grace on them, not just to preach the gospel, but to be the body of Christ. There's a grace on them to share with one another. There's a grace on them that binds them closer together because when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are filled with everything that he is. Here's the reality. We need those times where we gather together and we turn our eyes to God and we lift our voices to God and we receive from him. You can get so caught up in the mission that you say, we're wasting our time. Why are we, why are we doing these services? Why don't we get, okay, mom, let's go do something. And I, I admire that go get them attitude. But don't go out there without first hearing the voice of God. There's such a value to coming together and turning our attention to him. Now, a lot of people just gather together and turn our attention to each other. Let's just talk through stuff. And while I agree we need to pay attention to one another, we need to take care of each other, there is a time, a place, and a real purpose to getting together and turning our eyes upward. This was so valuable to me about a Sunday morning. I, I am, I am 100% in agreement and, and just excited about things like, like those times in home groups or even throughout the week when you're meeting together and you're praying together. God is there. That is powerful. The, the wonderful thing about a service like this is that there's time set aside to not even talk to each other. There, we need to talk to each other. That should be part of it. But there's also time where we just turn our eyes to Jesus and we just worship him. And as we minister to the Lord, he ministers to you. And as you hear from the Lord, he's placing things in you as you're hearing, as you're receiving from God. The problem is that our temptation is that when we get into a, a wonderful upper room experience, we just want to stay there because this is where it's happening. But the Holy Spirit did not fill them so that they could have the upper room church of Jerusalem and just stay 120 people for the rest of the year and just say, isn't it good? Well, the Lord's doing it in the upper room. Praise the Lord. And we're just gathered together. And isn't it wonderful how, how God is moving in our midst, but we don't ever let the world hear what God is saying. It's tempting to stay there because this is where the cool stuff's happening. But the upper room at some point has got to spill out to the streets and 120 has to turn to 3,000. That moment where the place is shaken, I don't want to stay in that moment. I mean, I imagine that moment would freak you out a little bit, right? 
the place shaking, but you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's pretty awesome. We'd all want to stay there and go, God, do that again. That was cool. What did they do? They received from the Lord. The place was shaken. They had this experience with God. They left the building. And they went out and did something with it. Because the world, the city needed to hear what they had. It's one thing. You got to receive from heaven. But you don't just receive from heaven. The world needs to receive something from heaven through you. What you hear from heaven, they've got to hear from you. Jesus said, I will whisper to you things in secret, and you will shout those things from the rooftops. There are things you've got to hear from God, and the world has to hear through you from him. So you can get so focused on getting to the street that you don't have any, you're just ministering out of yourself, and there's no power to it. Or you could get so caught up in the upper room that you never leave and the world never knows what God is doing. In Mark chapter 9, there's an amazing story, a true story. Verse 2 of Mark 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. He brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. That means he changed. What they saw was a preview of the glorified Christ. What they saw was not Jesus the carpenter's son. It was not Jesus their buddy from Galilee. What they saw was a picture of the glorified risen Savior, even though he hadn't been risen yet. What they saw was the fact that he was not just a good teacher. He was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Because what happens is, verse 3, his garments became radiant and exceedingly white as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Bet some of you didn't know there were launderers back then. Now you know. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Okay, coolest meeting ever. It doesn't say they heard what they were talking. I bet they wanted to eavesdrop so bad. What's Mo and Elijah saying to Jesus right now? But as they see this, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. That's my dry New American Standard way of saying, I really like this place. We should stay here for a long time. It's good for us to be here. This is where we need to be. He's saying, this is where we should be for a long time. Therefore, let us make three tabernacles, three big tents. Let's set them up. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I bet Peter's thinking, those other nine disciples, forget them. They were cool. That was a season in my life. I'm here now. The three of us made it. We made it to the mountaintop, baby. This is it. Wonderful. Free at last, free at last. We've reached the promised land. Let's build three tabernacles. We'll stay here. We'll take care of you guys. You need somebody. I mean, we want to stay here as long as we can. It's good for us to be here. The next verse says, for he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. It's the best, best thing you could come up with at the time. Now, you realize the book of Mark was written by John Mark. 
who for many years was Peter's right-hand man. And most likely, the gospel of Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God breathed, was actually Peter's retelling of the gospel. So Luke went and interviewed eyewitnesses. John spoke from his angle. Matthew spoke from his angle. And from from a, a Jewish perspective through genealogies and things like that. But Mark, Mark wasn't there. Mark was not there when all this happened. And he didn't go interview a bunch of eyewitnesses like Luke did. Mark wrote this from the perspective of Peter. So most likely, Peter says, Mark, I didn't know what to say. (laughs) I had no idea what to say at the time. I was terrified. I was up on that mountain. I was terrified. And the best thing I could say was, we should stay here for a long time. Now, I would want that too. Finally, we've made it. This is the moment I've been waiting for. The only thing is, there's a group of people down at the bottom of the mountain that need something. If we were to keep reading, and we will, then a cloud formed overshadowing them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he gave them orders not to relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing one another what rising from the dead meant. You could have taken that literally and it would have saved you a lot of heartache. What does rising from the dead mean? If only they had realized it meant rising from the dead. Verse 11, they asked him saying, why is it the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said to them, Elijah does not first, Elijah must first come and restore all things. Yet how is it written of the son of man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come and they did to him whatever they wished, just as it was written of him. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? One of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him on the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and he stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. He answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. He asked his father, how long has this been happening? The father said, from childhood. It's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying and throwing him into a terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he got up. The temptation is let's stay up on the mountain because this is where God is. Let's stay up on the mountain, because this is where the cool stuff is. Let's stay up on the mountain, because Elijah and Moses showed up. 
Let's stay up on the mountain because we finally got to see Jesus for who he really is. But the problem is there's a boy down there that's being oppressed by an evil spirit. And the folks that are down there right there can't do anything about it. Jesus later says, with this type of evil spirit, you got to fast and you got to pray. Here's the catch. Jesus didn't fast and pray. Didn't, Jesus didn't say, hold them there for 24 hours. Don't move. I got a quick fast and pray, fast and pray. Can you fast in 24 hours? I don't even think that counts as fasting, but okay, okay. All right, I'm, I'm built up. Now go. Because Jesus wasn't saying you wait, you fast and pray, and then you come back and do it. He was saying if you had been fasting and praying, you would have had something. You would have been built up enough to minister to this boy. So what he's saying is sometimes what you've got, your level is not enough for what they need. What you need is to get with God. You need to get with the Lord because he's got what you need to give them what they need. So you just can't go up to this kid and tell him the demon get out and you've just been snacking and watching TV all day and you think, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever and it doesn't matter. His power's the same whether I've been watching TV or not. That's true, but your ability to speak with that power, your ability to be used with that power has been weakened by the fact that you haven't spent any time with the Lord and you've not been filled up. See, the disciples had to ask for boldness. Was the power of God the same? Absolutely. Was the spirit of God any weaker before they asked? No. But they had to be filled up again. If they had to be filled up, that tells me they had gotten low. And when Jesus came down from the mountain, the disciples had the same name of Jesus, the same authority that they'd been going village to village, casting demons out. They had that same authority. That's why they were baffled it didn't work this time. And Jesus said, you needed to fast and pray. Sometimes we think fasting and praying, what a waste of time. There was was a song in the 90s that came out and said, get off your knees. Basically says, get off your knees and do something. The, the, the thought being, we're spending all this time praying, we're not doing anything with it. There's a bit of truth with that in that sometimes we, we're too afraid to do something, so we just pray and expect God to send somebody else besides us. And at some point, you got to leave the prayer closet, you got to leave the room and go out and do what God sent you to do. But you first, you got to spend some time with the Lord. I know it's tempting when you do spend the time with the Lord, to stay up on that beautiful mountain. But just like I said, you can't just go out in the world without first getting filled up. You can't just stay on the mountain and forget all those people down there that need what Jesus has. There's a, there's a boy that needs to be delivered. There's a crowd that needs to hear the word. And as much as we love to stay up where the glory is, you got to come down where the people are. So this is why we need times like this. This is why we need to seek the Lord together. I'll give you one more example before we close in the book of Acts again. Is everybody still awake? We're here. You know, you guys are so quiet this morning. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're not. All right. 
Thank God. Book of Acts tells us about the church in Antioch, which is a, a wonderful beginning, a powerful beginning, because it's the beginning of a church in Syria, which is made up of a lot of Gentiles and made up a lot of non-Jewish folks. You know, here's what happened in the early church. We see this great move of God in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is an unlikely place for this to happen because Jerusalem is the city that hates them. Jerusalem is the city that crucified Jesus. And yet God moves in Jerusalem. And he saves many in Jerusalem. And he turns the city upside down. But do you know what happens when thousands are added to their number? They do what we all would do. We like a big church. So we stay in Jerusalem where the church is, where the, where the stuff's moving, where it's exciting. Jesus told them, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You know the problem? Nobody left Jerusalem. Nobody left because this is where it's happening. I want to be where it's happening. The problem is it's happening here so you can go out there. So they all stay in Jerusalem until Stephen is killed. Stephen's death sparks something because Stephen preaches a powerful message that ignites something in one of the men who's holding everybody's coats while they stone Stephen to death. That man is Saul of Tarsus. And from that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to poke Saul because those words, he can't shake. What Stephen said is still ringing in his ears, is poking his heart, and he can't get rid of it. Instead of submitting to it, he gets angry, and he makes it his mission to kill every Christian he comes across, to drag him to prison, some to even drag to death. And because of that man going on a holy war against the Christians, it wasn't actually holy, but in his mind it was, against the Christians of Jerusalem, finally the church spreads out. It's a bad thing that's happening to them, but thank God they finally spread out. Philip goes down to Samaria. Some of them spread. But the problem is some of them are spreading and only talking to Jewish people. So a group uh, find a group of just regular Joes and Janes like you and me starts to preach to people, non-Jewish folks too, to Gentiles. And the hand of God is with them. And a great church starts in Antioch. Once again, this is a great church. Barnabas is invited to come see this church and to help them. Barnabas says, you know, my buddy Saul needs to come. Saul, who was persecuting the church, has now been born again has now be become a preacher, and he's become known as Paul. Barnabas goes and gets Paul. He brings him back to the church in Antioch. And he, sa he says, he he so that Paul could witness the grace of God that was on this church. And there's a great move of God, so much so that the prophets, like Agabus, come down from Jerusalem. And once again, what we had in Jerusalem, we got here in Antioch. It's a move of God. It's jumping. It's hopping. It's the place to be. But something happens in Acts chapter 11. It says, at that time, in verse 27, now at that time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And then in the proportion of, that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. 
Now go on and skip ahead a little bit here. We're going to see where the first missionary missionary trip started because we wonder, we think that Paul just started preaching. He just started going around preaching and, and um, just decided, you know, I'm finally ready. And he took some buddies with him. But the truth of the matter was God sent them out. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is a cool place to be. They've got prophets, they've got teachers, they've got celebrities. This guy grew up with Herod, the Tetrarch, one of the kings. This is pretty impressive. This is the church we all want to go to, right? They've got good teaching. They got good gifts of the spirit moving. They got celebrities going. This is, this is happening. This is, let's all just stay here for a while. Hey, forget Jerusalem. We got it here now. But here's what happens. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then when they'd fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Paul and Barnabas are their two best guys. Why would you send them away? Don't we all just want to have it happening? This is the church where we all want to be. But they realized that the gospel of the kingdom was never meant to be contained in a church, in a building, in a room. The gospel must be spread. Now watch what happens. This comes out of a time where it says they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. In that time of ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Lord told them about this missionary journey. Doesn't say they got all the teachers and prophets together and they had a meeting and they discussed what their strategy would be. Doesn't say they had a vision meeting and they all put pins on the board and said, these are all the places we want to reach. What does it say? They ministered to the Lord and they fasted. There is something vital to the church today that is being neglected, and that is ministering to the Lord. You see that for every mile of road, there are two miles of ditch. And in the past, at times, we've gotten into one ditch, and we've, we've gotten so caught up in what was happening, we forgot to minister to one another. We forgot about each other. But then the other ditch is that we get so caught up in these things that we're doing together or our programs or, or whatever that we forget how valuable it is to take time to minister to the Lord, to turn our eyes upward, to be vertical and to worship him. Because as they minister to the Lord and fast, the Lord gives them their mission. See, Paul and Barnabas could have gone out and said, you know, it's about time for we reach the world. But what they needed was a word from the Lord. What they needed was a commission from the Lord. And you know what they did? They didn't just say, I believe the Lord wants us to go. They fasted some more and laid their hands on them and sent them out. For the rest of their missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas would look back at that moment 
where those men and women laid their hands on us and sent us out and didn't just lay their hands on us in the spur of the moment, but took it so seriously that they spent time fasting and praying so that they would know the heart of God and they would know the mind of the Lord and they'd be doing it in the power of God. Do you see what we're working with here? We can get so caught up that God is doing great things in Jerusalem. God is doing great things in Antioch. Let's just stay. And we never reach the world that God sent us to reach. But we can also get so focused on reaching the world that we forget that there's a time to minister to the Lord where he fills you up and ministers to you. This is why we need Sundays. This is why we need times like this where we just spend time worshiping God where we hear from the word, we're ministered to, we minister to him. That's why we don't stay and just say Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm living for those days where I'm just coming and we're getting all that and we're just getting filled up and we're getting soaked up and I don't want to leave. Sometimes you just got to leave because what you hear from heaven, the world's waiting to hear from you. And what happens in the upper room has got to hit the streets. You don't hit the streets without first being filled in the upper room. But you don't stay in the upper room. You don't stay on the mountain. You don't stay in this nice little building where the place is shaken because the Holy Spirit's filling you. At some point, the glory of God is for a purpose. And it's not just so you can marinate for the rest of your life and grow old in it, but so that the world can be reached. So that we could be, Jesus said that glory would make us one. I believe that some of you are at times confused. And you're, you're spinning your wheels just trying to figure out what am I supposed to do for the Lord. And you, and you, you really want to serve God and you really want to do it. And you, you, want, you want to just go all out. So you come up with all your ideas. You brainstorm. You sit in the shower thinking about it. You wake up. You get your notebook out and you start jotting out ideas. And all of that is wonderful. But here's what I would recommend to you. You need to take some time to minister to the Lord. Because sometimes when, you're, when you stop thinking about you and your mission and your little, the thing that you, your circle, your sphere, and you just start focusing on him, even better when you, I mean, there's times to do that by yourself, and there's also times when we do that together, and we turn our eyes upward, and we lift our hands, and we worship him, and we minister to the Lord. Sometimes out of those moments comes a word from the Lord that changes your direction forever. I've been in counseling sessions where we spent hours, guys, hours talking through issues. Nobody, nobody, no, none of you here, so don't worry about it. Where we spent hours talking through stuff, and I still felt like we barely moved an inch. And in one service, somebody came to the altar and worshiped God, and in 30 seconds, God shifted something in them that what we couldn't do through talking for a couple hours, God did in seconds. That's what God can do. So you want to hit the streets so bad that we're coming up with ideas and we're just saying, what can I do? What can I do? And often it's not what God's telling you to do. You're just trying to stay busy. But you don't need to be busy doing your thing. You need to hear the word of the Lord and say, what am I supposed to do? Because he's got a mission for you. He's got things that he's already prepared for you and he's prepared you for them. So walk in them. 
There must be a time where we gather together and we come apart and we worship God and we minister to the Lord and we fast and we pray. And as we celebrate him, as we think about him, as we worship him, all of a sudden you're filled up with something you didn't have before. You receive something you didn't have before. You hear what you didn't know before. You need these times, but you don't need to stay here. At some point, you got to go there. As tempting as it is to just say, this is where it's happening. This is where you're supposed to get filled up so it can happen out there. This is just the filling station. This is a place of worship for God. That's why you should show up. Show up early. Isn't it funny that the one part of the service that's most dedicated to the Lord, where we're not looking out for ourselves, but we're turned our eyes upward, is often the first part of the service when we just praise God and worship God. And it's often that part where people stumble in. And I know we've all had to do it for different reasons, but maybe you can make a priority. Be there a little early. Because if you put a priority on worshiping God, and you'll discover the value of letting him just take your eyes off all your other issues. You know, detox from what's been going on out here. Whatever happened in the car on the way here, it doesn't matter. You know, I don't believe the first, there's no pattern in scripture that tells you you got to sing two fast songs, two slow songs, and then do the offering. It's just what we do. And we can change that at any time. But uh, the reason we do those songs of praise first is because the Bible tells us to enter his courts with thanksgiving, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. What do you do when you're in the court of the king? You worship him. You bow down. So often we start the service with songs of praise to celebrate who he is. And when we get to that place where we've been celebrating, we, we're, we're wrapped up in who he is. It's a time to bow down and to worship. And in those times of worship, we're changed. It's so valuable. But you know, those first few songs are not just to get you into a mood. They're not just to get you warmed up. They're not to get you sanctified because you've been out there. We should come into the service ready. Ready. Excited. Prayed up. You expect me to pray before I preach, don't you? Don't you think you should pray before you receive? If a preacher's got to prepare to preach the word, don't you think you got to prepare for your heart to receive the word? I'm ready for more, guys. I'm ready for more than just nice services. I'm ready for more than just good programs. I'm ready for the city to be shaken with the glory of God. It's not going to happen by somehow enticing everybody to come into this building. It's going to happen by the people in this building and all these other buildings around the city that are worshiping God today to start in those buildings and spread out and hit the city, that this city would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. Let's stand up together. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good to us.